Good morning, everybody. Hope you're doing well. It's Steph, 3rd of October, 2008. And had an interesting question, as almost all of them are, from a listener. Oh, by the way, if you're Diamond Plus, didn't get my email. Pick up your preview copy of the audiobook, How Not to Achieve Freedom, on the board. But an um, interesting question from a listener who is in a debating club and he's trying to figure out whether to stay or leave said debating club and there's a variety of reasons he likes the socialization aspect of it he likes the skill of it but I mean obviously it's time consuming and uh, he is surrounded by a bunch of sophistic weasels uh, who use as he says uh, sophistic tricks and emotional uh, naked pleas to emotion to uh, to get their point across. And he's trying to figure out whether he should stay or go. And my suggestion, I mean, I was in the debating uh, club for two years and uh, I, I uh, as an undergraduate, and, and I liked it. I really did. I liked the travel. Uh, I got to travel all over the country uh, uh, debating. I... Uh, Never have found it to be a natural thing, a completely natural thing for me to speak, shockingly, to speak to a crowd. Uh, I don't know, maybe some people just you know, get up, ooh, love it, right? I uh, I have to work myself up to it just a little bit. But uh, that certainly helped with that aspect. I really liked the thinking on uh, on my feet. And I liked the, uh, I liked the uh, rhetorical tricks. I, I like them. I think that anything which has survived since the days of Socrates as an effective means of getting people to believe stuff or accept stuff, you know, can't be all bad. And that, I think, is something that's well worth accepting. I mean, people like governments, right? And and we we got to accept that, right? Rhetorical tricks, naked appeals to emotion, uh, uh, you know, the, the Al Pacino style of uh, my city is a palace, you know, <laughs> that, that that stuff all works. Uh, people, I mean, religion is founded on all of this kind of stuff, and religion is a lot more successful than philosophy, so I think we just have to look empirically at what works, and use what works in the service of good, rather than leaving the most effective tools in the arsenal of human communication and convincing in the hands of those who spout a whole bunch of nonsense, right? So, I've certainly tried to not do that, you know, the Spock-Kirk dichotomy, where if you're passionate, you're wrong, and if you're logical, you're right, but who cares, <laughs> right? I mean, that's not the way that I think that, that the truth is served. I mean, to me, whatever whatever dance you have to do to get the kids to take their medicine is, is fine with me, right? I mean, it doesn't... If you have to put uh, a, a, a sock puppet on your hand and pretend to be Barney the Dinosaur... <laughs> to get your kids to take their medicine, then that, to me, is fine. The purpose is to get the pill down the throat, right? So, I mean, this all sounds... It's not a very good metaphor, because I certainly don't look at you all as children, but I think you uh, you sort of understand what I mean. So learning the tricks of the trade uh, is, uh, is, I think, a very reasonable and, and healthy thing to do, to recognize that human beings respond to conviction, and they respond to emotion, and human beings, you know, reason... 
so to speak, with their hearts at the moment, not with their heads. I mean, there is this mind-body dichotomy, which we should talk about in more detail at some point, which has been a peculiar curse of Judeo-Christian religions, right? Which is where um, virtue is in the mind and corruption is in the body and so on. And that's just a... Uh, a demonization of 99% of the ecosystem, right? And that, of course, gives you an endless battle to fight, which others can profit from because it weakens you and makes you dependent upon their approval. Right? When you demonize the ecosystem, all you do is project it into the world, into things which other people can control, which they then can stay the inevitable self-attacks based on giving them you giving them money and them giving you approval and release from guilt. But I would say that learning how to effectively communicate to uh, individuals or groups I think is great. I think the other thing that I got out of the debating club was the reality that everyone has different opinions on what is right. I mean, I know that sounds like a truism, but I'll give you an example. I was in Newfoundland for the Canadian debating finals in, uh, I think it was I think it was AD, not BC for most of you here. But, um, what happened was, we were there. There was a be it resolved that right. Be it resolved that's the right? be it resolved that the government should fund a database of personal stories from Canadians that are available over the internet. To uh, it was something like that, you know, that we should go around getting people's personal stories and and we should store them for future generations and so on and so on. And if, uh, I, I was fortunate enough to be put in the con position, though uh, to me it doesn't matter hugely. I mean, if you use rhetorical tricks and it appeals to emotion and illogic to get your point across, all it does, and, and it's the wrong point, all it does is help you understand how effective these tricks are. Right? That, that reason doesn't have much to do with what people accept. In fact, it has very little to do with what people accept. And that's very important to understand, right? Because if you don't understand that, then you won't use these, quote, tricks to convince people you, you render your life kind of ineffective, right? In terms of communicating the truth. So I was against it, and I said, well, we already have a government-subsidized way of getting stories from the average population and keeping them in perpetuity. Right? It's called the publishing industry, which is government-subsidized and uh, accepts sub uh, story submissions from any Canadian under the sun or moon, and then will uh, communicate those stories. Because it's sort of pointless, right, that they go through a quality check to see if stories are worth publishing, and it's sort of pointless to have a redundant system. Uh, the and the second system has far lower, lo no quality control. Like anyone with spelling and typos and can j throw any old junk. They can make stuff up. There's no fact checking. There's no corroboration. You could have libel. You could, right? So we, we already have a quality and legal filter over the stories of average Canadians called the book publishing industry. So this is, which is already subsidized by the government. So basically we have something that works really well and is a very positive uh, and uh, in addition to the arts and culture, and actually, I mean, that the whole point of, of there's no point putting stuff in a database that no one else is going to read, right? This is sort of pointless, right? It's a huge waste of time. Might as well just burn the money in a bonfire. And what the Canadian publishing com uh, industry does, as all publishing industries, is filter out that which people will not read. Right? So if it doesn't read, they don't make their money. So we already have the system in place. It's high quality. It avoids legal issues and libel. Uh, it fact checks where appropriate. Uh, it edits. It ensures proper spelling. It presents attractively. Uh, it already has a mechanism for getting this into the hands of 
readers called either the web or, or bookstores. And uh, so this is zero point, uh, creating a, a worse quality second government. Anyway, so, so that was my argument. I can't believe I re- remember. I can't remember where my keys are, but I can remember that argument from over 20 years ago. Anyway, so so that is, uh, and so one guy, one guy said, uh, like when when I was moderated, right? you're moderated, uh, and just like a, <laughs> it's like you're a, a skaters, right? But one guy said, oh, I really liked that example of the publishing industry. I thought that was bang on, right? and gave me good marks. Another guy said, I really hated that example of the uh, the uh, publishing industry. I thought it was just not appropriate. I mean, it's all he said was not appropriate. Like, that's some magic word, right? Uh, and he gave me bad marks, right? And, and all that did was, you know, it, it just helped me to understand that, you know, people are bringing their own histories, right? You never know, right? It's always the case, right? If someone gets upset or negative about something, it's always some some personal issue, right? I mean, this guy maybe had uh, um, was a failed writer, or maybe he'd uh, s- uh, submitted a bunch of stuff and it didn't didn't sell, or you know maybe his mom's a publisher. Or, yeah, I mean, doesn't like he doesn't like to think of it as a government program, right? I mean, there's lots of lots of things, right? It's got nothing to do with an accurate judgment, but just so one guy loved it, one guy hated it, and, and those kinds of experiences are really important, right? Because everyone's going to try and convince you that they don't like something that you're doing because of objective and rational reasons. But it's almost always the case that, that it starts off. It doesn't mean that they're wrong, but it means that they're motivated by, by personal issues uh, specifically. The only way that I know of to gain the greatest happiness is to serve mankind in the cause of the truth. Um, scientifically, statistically, volunteering, or doing virtuous actions for the general good of the planet is the only proven and certain way to gain and maintain genuine happiness and a sense of meaning and accomplishment and all those good and wonderful things. So, I I mean, I try to organize my own decisions around what will do the best for the planet through the greatest, through, through that which serves truth the greatest, right? So I sort of wake up in the morning. My day is really organized around that principle, right? So I have uh, a variety of, I guess you could say, constituencies that I need to uh, to deal with or to communicate about. And those are, you know, the YouTubers, the board members, the various donation levels, as well as the the general uh, already listening population who may benefit from an additional podcast and a notification of it on the board or an email out. And of course, there is, in in many ways, the most important constituency, which is the groups who have yet to uh, join in to the wonders and beauties of philosophy and, and what is going to be most appealing to them, right? Which is sort of why I designed the website with the landing pages and so on, right? So. To, to have a principle by which you make your decisions means that you have a flexible, it can change over time, right? But you have a way of organizing what it is that you're doing and how it is that you're making decisions so that you're not making decisions uh, impulsively or without a framework or without a context, right? I mean, science doesn't make decisions about 
reality, but attempts to validate theories through the scientific method. So I would sort of suggest that you need a principle to make these kinds of decisions. Should I do debating or not? Otherwise, it comes down to you know, immediate preference, short-term goals, and uh, you may miss out on some genuine happiness for the sake of a relatively small sacrifice in the present in terms of, as you say, the time that you'll spend. But, but having these these core values that you use to make decisions in your life is very important. I mean, I'm trying to always figure out what is the best way to spread and expand the value and utility of a conversation for people. This is a philosophical conversation. And uh, so when I'm working on a book, even though it can be <laughs> like this last one, completely terrifying, I try and organize it according to that principle, right? So if I just went with my personal preferences, of course I wouldn't. I mean, <laughs> In a way, I wouldn't write books. They're horribly difficult. Uh, after the first draft, it's quite a lot of grinding and dull work, and they're emotionally terrifying, <laughs> right? They really are. The more you synthesize your arguments, the more you can be... Uh, uh, yeah, it's, no, criticism doesn't doesn't worry me particularly, but uh, uh, it, is a, uh, it is a challenge emotionally, and particularly this How Not to Achieve Freedom book, which yeah, I completely understand is entirely volatile <laughs> and... Uh, uh, is it is it as volatile as the criticisms from the people I'm criticizing? Uh, the, the degree to which they've been volatile towards me? Well, no, of course not. But nonetheless, it's not particularly comfortable for me to be that, um, <laughs> I guess, in your face or confrontational. Not really my nature. I'm not that kind of fighter. But the way that I try and make that decision is saying, okay, well, what is going to best serve the truth? And, and sometimes that is advancing the cause of the truth uh, through the promulgation of a new theory, of course, whereas, or, or the getting behind other people's theories like the psychohistory stuff that I read. And remember that if you want to pick up that book, it's highly recommended, The Origins of War and Child Abuse, just go to freedomainradio.com forward slash psychohistory. Uh, and uh, highly recommended, uh, and uh, I think a very good audiobook recording, in my humble opinion. So sometimes it's putting forward a new theory, and more recently, it has been involved in getting impediments out of the way of the spread of truth, right? And and since I consider political, academic, and religious libertarianism to be huge quicksands that swallow up many a person on on his or her journey towards philosophical truth, right? They get they get diverted to the endless squalid cul-de-sac of these three false disciplines falls in their current incarnation, in particular for academics. Uh, obviously, academic research and, and studying them is all wonderful. But since I consider those to be huge impediments in getting people towards philosophical truth, philosophical examination, to, to I want to close off those false exits, right? Those exits that lead you right back to futility and emotional immaturity and hypocrisy. I want to close off those exits as much as possible. I don't particularly think that it's possible to rescue the people already stuck there. They've invested too much, and fallacy of sunk costs is very powerful psychologically, why people stay in those horrible long relationships. But I can at least help people avoid making the same mistakes uh, in the future, and, and perhaps get some people uh, geared up who are disappointed or disillusioned in what happened with these other solutions. So that's the decision like what, what is it that i can do with my day or my week or my month that will most you know given that i don't have an infinity of them left i'm not old 
right? But I'm middle-aged, right? So I have to take care in, in how I spend my limited time on the planet. So what is going to most productively advance the cause of truth? Not because I am altruistically advancing the cause of truth, but because that is what makes one happy. Doing good, virtue, <laughs> reason equals virtue equals happiness, right? Virtue is not a state of mind, but a series of actions, right? Initially, of course, you have to understand it. Like you have to understand nutrition, but eventually you just have to put down the deep fried chocolate brownies, right? There's actions. Uh, virtue enacted on uh, is actually a negation of virtue, right? Because you say knowledge doesn't breed action, and you thus dis deny the value of knowledge to those who are untutored. Right? It's bad. You're a bad example, right? Like the fat man who says he knows everything about nutrition actually is telling people not to study nutrition right now. So, when you're making decisions about things in life in general, especially the big decisions about what you're going to do with your life, then I would strongly suggest uh, how, how does this advance the perception of truth in the world as a whole for the sake of, of making me happy and, and proud. Isn't it? proud of, of what you do with your life. So, as far as the debating society goes, I mean, you can't make that decision in a vacuum. You can't make it in isolation. You can't make it without reference to a larger plan. It's like saying, is going east or west better? Well, there's no way of knowing that unless you have a destination, right? So, what is the context in which you're making these life decisions? Are you making them based on spur-of-the-moment whimmy things, or are you making them based on their relationship to a larger goal and plan, a life goal, life plan? And I would uh, argue that learning how to convincingly communicate the... Oh, how nice. My wife just pulled up behind me. <laughs> yeah, I'm in the car. Uh, how to convincingly communicate ideas is going to serve the truth and, and the virtue of the world and thus your own happiness, self-esteem, and pride. And so I would recommend sticking with it, but only in the context of that larger goal. If you have another larger goal that you find more attractive or appealing is going to make you happier, then you should make that decision with reference to that larger goal. But you don't want to make decisions without a framework, otherwise they're just kind of randomized whims, right? Which is not going to lead you to happiness, but rather to unhappiness. So I hope that that helps. Thank you so much for listening. I look forward to your donations. I will talk to you von Zuniville.